Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, we're here. It's it's Tuesday or Wednesday. When it I is. Got, it's Wednesday. It is Wednesday. And boy, has it been Have like we got a wild a whole week. Week's, uh, news already? Yeah, we. I think we've had like five weeks news after, of course, uh, New Hampshire last night. Uh, that was a biggie, John. I was on live, and remember when Iowa happened? That was called in about thirty minutes. Last night, I think, I don't even know if it was 8.01 when the polls closed at 8 o'clock. I think it was like 8.00.30, Pete King. And when suddenly they made the announcement that Trump was the winner, and that was from AP. Uh, but boy, that came in quick, Peter King. It, it actually was closer than people thought it would be. At that stage, it was only about uh, seven, uh, a seven-point difference, I think, between uh, Trump and uh, Nikki Haley. I think she ran a good race. I uh I'm, I'm partial. I've known her for a long time. I give her a lot of credit for making a good race. Now, this is from the song Gambler. 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 Rogers. No one to hold them. No one to fold them. Wait, it's, I think it's coming up. Here it is. It's coming up. Here it is. Oh, wait. No, it's coming. Oh, wait. It's coming up after this. Pete, you know the words. And, and, <laughs> and I had a call from the Washington Post today about what should Nikki Haley do. Yes, and you had some great advice. And Tell I everybody. Had some great advice. I mean, she's so far behind in her home state of South Carolina. Here's the advice you gave. So the advice I gave. So I oh, wait. Oh, shoot. I thought it was coming up. Here it is. <laughs> it's coming up shortly. Hey. No one to hold them. No one no to fold them. No one to fold them. No one to walk away. No one to run. If she thinks she wants a a, a, a future in politics, it, it's time. Hold on. John, that well, was good advice. Somebody tell Nikki Haley. To listen to, to that Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers. This is the John Casmatis and Kenny Rogers. I love that. In I, that order. I would tell her to stay in now because of what Donald Trump, if she backs out now, it looked like she was a cow and gave in to Trump. She way, is. I mean, no, no, I, no, I, no, it'd be a smart thing to do. I don't think so. I think it'd be the wrong thing to All do. All right. But then she's going to get clobbered in her home it's state her of South Carolina. That's not okay. All right. It is. Listen, a, it is if you're let's a keep a scoreboard on, on no, Peter King. He was wrong about January 6th. Yeah, January 6th. I'm right about him. Oh, I'm right about January 6th. about the police commissioner. All right, wait, wait. But he won three in a row? He said she's one of the best commissions we ever had. No, he's talking about the police commissioner. Oh, that's right, the one in where the serial killer was. Wait a second, wait a second. But the most important thing is that Donald Trump's speech was, was terrible. absolutely terrible. Absolutely awful. He did not terrible. help himself. He should make friends with Nikki Haley. He's going to need those votes. He can't win without Nikki Haley. Exactly votes. right. Now, the one thing and the other but thing. But he needs her more than she needs him. Electric vehicles are dying. Yeah, and by the way. Tesla today. Tesla. Their, their sales are down. Or the, uh, the earnings are down. The stock uh, six months ago, four months ago, was $300 a share. 
It's down to less than 200. And did you hear what uh, the chairman of Toyota came out and he made a big speech and he said electric cars are only going to max at 30% of global sales forever. Like, forever. what are we doing? You know, I mean, and later on, we're going to have Jason Rance on the show who took an EV and get stranded. it was, and boy, did and he get stranded. Thing, I can't understand how dumb the UAW union is. They endorsed Joseph Biden today. Yeah, they're losing so many jobs. And Biden is pushing more electric vehicles. They're selling out their own members, John. They're selling out their own members. It's terrible. Because if you push electric vehicles, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have less, uh, you know, workers. Of course. Because you don't need that many workers to turn out electric vehicles. By the way, uh, good news. Instagram, give everybody an update. WABC. Is back on hey. Instagram. Yay! Yay! Kenny Rogers would be proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and we have right now uh, one of the best political experts out there, the former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. Uh, Newt, uh, you've probably been hearing us. We were playing, uh, John was quoted in the Washington Post. He gave a great quote saying, Nikki Haley needs to know when to hold them and when to fold them. Uh, your thoughts of where this race is headed? Well, I was listening carefully to you guys, and I would say both sides of this conversation are right. Haley's future would be better if she dropped out. She's not going to be the nominee. She's not even in Nevada, for example, which is the next primary. So Trump will sweep it and get all the delegates. Uh, But in addition, uh, she's going to almost certainly lose in South Carolina, where Trump is 30 points ahead. It's important to remember that while Trump only beat her by 11 points uh, because of all the Biden voters who came over to vote in the open primary. The fact is, among Republicans in New Hampshire, Trump beat her by 73 percent. But I want to say I also agree with the comment I heard just before I came on, and that is I think Trump should not attack Nikki Haley. He should not spend his time uh, going after her. He should behave as though he is the general election nominee. He should focus on Joe Biden. Let her hit him while he hits Biden is the strongest possible position for uh, Trump to be in. Yeah, almost dismiss her, like as if it's, you know, it's sort of this ancillary be, character. You can't dismiss her. He needs her to, to win that, in November. Exactly. Spe- Mr. Speaker, it's Judge Richard Warmberg. I think as a House Democrat, if you want to be a Republican, you have to have a big tent. He's going to need Haley's votes. Yeah, and, by, and by the way, I want to clear up. I'm not saying dismiss her personally. I'm saying focus your energy on Joe Biden. I agree you have to bring in everybody. But 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 to your point, Newt, a lot of the people I was I was on live during all the exit polls coming out and Trump got 70 percent of the Republican mm-hmm. voters. She got 30. Many of them were independents or, quote, Democrats that went in there. So so you have to wonder how big is that base? Well, no, no, this is Pete King. I think, first of all, if she drops out right now in the aftermath of his attack on her, if she's going to look weak. So I think I would have urged, yes, it's okay to drop out. After after last night, it looks like she's giving in to Trump. I thought he made was a terrible mistake. For him to win in November, he's got to get independent votes. And, you know, Nikki Haley's not some crazy liberal. I think he should have killed her with kindness and tried to work out some well, kind of let's alliance. Let's hear from Newt. Well, I, I basically agree with that. I think, um, first of all, if Trump honestly believes she cannot win, why fight with her? Right. Don't waste uh, your energy. Right. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Second, um, I thought his tone after Iowa, when he was conciliatory, he was positive about both DeSantis and Haley. Uh, He talked about bringing people together. He talked about solving problems. He talked about helping big cities. I mean, I thought that was the general election Trump 
who could become president and who could lead a unified country. I think uh, last night he was surprised. I think he's very angry that she's still in the race. But, you know, it's not to his advantage to be publicly angry. That's not what the country wants. Uh, and it, and it's, it's the reason that Biden actually runs better than his approval rating, because there's a block of people who do not like Biden, but they frankly don't like Trump. Uh, and Trump's job is to calm down and be acceptable to all those people and just win by a big margin. I mean, the, you know, the best of all revenges is winning. Yes. He's got to be presidential. Yeah. And, and he doesn't need to be the other to the point, you know, exactly. he won. Right. Well, where do we go? Newt, where do we go from here? Well, look, I mean, we have a lot of different things going on right now. We have a huge fight in Congress where I hope the House Republicans will stand very firm for genuine border control. Uh, we have, uh, you know, the president uh, has to, uh, uh, President Trump has to finish mopping up in Nevada where he'll get all 100% of the delegates. Uh, there'll be a small skirmish down in the Virgin Islands. And then if, if uh, you know, certainly Nikki's right to stay in the race if she wants to. But my hunch is that uh, no matter how much money they pour into that campaign, uh, in the end, she's not going to win in South Carolina. And hopefully by that point, she'll figure out that, you know, that this is really disingenuous. I, I thought, uh, to his credit, that Governor DeSantis was, was smart and, and honorable in recognizing that he wasn't going to win and in uh, deciding that he would um, instead not waste his supporters' money. Uh, and and get out of the race. And, and uh, I thought he did the right thing. And I have a hunch you're going to see a lot of Republicans endorsing Trump in the next couple of days. And if, if Trump will just relax, focus on the general election, be positive, allow Nikki to do whatever she wants to do, but not pay attention to her, pay attention to Joe Biden. I think Trump would be dramatically better off. First yeah. of all, yeah, Nikki Haley's going to run out of money. I mean, who would contribute any money to Nikki right now? But, and I you mean, were hearing, and I have nothing against her, but I, John, you know. Well, and John, you were hearing stories, John, too, that people are kind of backing off. John, I don't agree with that. I, I think there are people who hate Trump who are in for the last stand, and there are going to be some billionaires writing big checks uh, because they, they, they have this fantasy that with enough money, the, as the favorite daughter of South Carolina, she can win South Carolina, and then things can open up. So my, my hunch is she'll run out of money if she loses South Carolina. But I'm not sure she runs out of money between now and South Carolina. Yeah, when, and, when is South Carolina? So, weeks from now? February 24th. And, and, and also, three weeks from yeah, now. Yeah, it's, it's three two weeks. Months, and months and also, um, the thing is, too, guys, uh, remember, one of her big donors, and she hasn't denied this, is um, is Reed Hoffman, who is the LinkedIn guy who is a big donor to the Democrats. So to Newt's point... Um, he may keep giving. You know, he just want to, wants to have somebody going up against Trump. But all the more reason why Trump should try to make peace with Haley and stop being a jerk. Yeah, look, I think the fact is right now, Hale, Nikki, who Chris who and I know pretty well, and uh, I've, I've certainly known her since back when she was governor, um, you know, she has to understand she's becoming not the Republican potential candidate. She's becoming the vehicle for the anti-Trump hatred. Uh, and that's not where she wants to be, and it's, and it's in the end not not good for her. Yeah, a lot yeah. of rumors were that uh, in New Hampshire uh, that a lot of Democrats voted for her to hurt 
uh, to, right uh, to her Trump. Trump. Yeah, and they were able to, to because be of, it's an open primary. That's exactly well, not entirely open yet. You have to switch parties. No, but yeah. independents, undeclared, undeclared were 39% of the vote. That's a huge Right, part. and independents are the major party. Right, yeah. right, right. Well, yeah, but so, no, but, but, but a lot of them came in. There are people on camera who said, you know what? Yeah, I'm voting for Nikki Haley, but if it's between oh, sure Trump that. and Biden, I'm, sure I'm voting for Biden. I'm what does that say? Newt needs those. Yeah. I, uh, Trump needs uh, those people to win in November. I'll bet there's a bunch of people who, uh, if it's between Haley and Biden, they're going to vote for Biden, but they voted for Haley purely. For the purpose of, of uh, trying to weaken Trump, right, yes. right, and yeah. that's not the right reason to do it. To do it to bring in the party is a different reason. But no, you know. uh, last question: uh, We had a dinner party the other night for uh, uh, Chairman uh, 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 Jason Smith with Larry Kudlow and uh, Steve Forbes, <coughs> and about twenty journalists, and they all seventeen of the twenty journalists feel that. The, at the end, Joe Biden is going to be the nominee and and run. And I thought that my, my opinion was that Joe Biden will accept the nomination, but at some point they're going to play a switcheroo on him. You have any opinion? Yeah. Well, think about your own life, John. If you were Joe Biden, you're sitting there in the White House. You got Marine One, you got Air Force One, uh, you got Camp David. Uh, why are you going to give all that up so you can bicycle in Delaware? <laughs> I keep telling all my friends who have this myth about, oh, Michelle Obama's going to come in or whatever. You can't get him out of there. He may lose the general election. I think he will. But he's not going to voluntarily. I mean, what is the upside for Joe Biden voluntarily leaving? You're, you're 100% right. right on that one. <laughs> I, I, if I was in Joe Biden's shoes, I would not leave. Yeah, cycling in uh, Delaware isn't so bad. <laughs> well, come on. You know, but- uh, uh, no, do you have any thoughts on vice president? Who we picked for vice yeah, president? We'll I'm absolutely convinced we'll have one. Thank you so much Big for coming on. You go, you are, you are, I, I got to say uh, something, and I really believe it. You're the best. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, Thanks Newt. Newt. Thanks. And now we have calling in. Yeah, we've got Joe Concha. I uh, love Fox, Joe Concha. Joe is the best Fox News contributor, media analyst, columnist for The I, Messenger. I watch him every day when Kudlow's on. And he was just on. And and boy, we are talking about the Trump speech, Joe. And when the media cut away, this happened in Iowa. He declares victory. That was a huge victory. He starts talking about the border. The media cuts away and says, oh, we're fact-checking this. Uh, he's talking anti-immigrant because he's talking about securing the border. They did it last night, Joe. What is going on? And here's the best part. After that, they said, we have to fact-check Trump. We have to protect our audience from lies. And coming up next hour, Adam Schiff and Michael Avenatti. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? I missed that part. No, no, oh, sense, of, no sense of irony there, huh? Oh, my goodness. That is a cl- You know what's amazing, though, Joe? It is so shameful. Here is somebody, how, wherever you are on the political spectrum, and he just won a major primary at both times. This happens in Iowa, of course, the caucus, this one, and they cut away like they are the barometers of truth. That, to me, they have not learned anything after the Hunter Biden debacle. How, how about Russia collusion? Yeah, Russia collusion, exactly. After Iowa, Trump starts talking about the border and talking about an invasion. And it is an invasion. There, there's nothing 
in terms of language there that is inaccurate. When you're talking about 7.5 million people coming into this country since Joe Biden took office, there are 38 U.S. states that don't have a total population of 7.5 million. And we see what's happening in New York, guys, right? Sanitation being cut. And we have libraries being cut, education being cut, New York City police officers and their budget being cut because we're taking care of these folks. It exhausts budgets. Oh, by the way, terrorists are coming across the border, according to the FBI terror watch list. Not my opinion again. These are facts. And, and the fact that they had to hide their audiences from what is, I think, the most important issue going into this election, which is immigration and the border and the national security crisis and humanitarian crisis and fentanyl crisis that we are experiencing as a country. And the fact that CNN, MSNBC say, no, we're going to protect our audience from this in the most sanctimonious way possible shows you that it's no longer about journalism. It's activism, guys. Joe, it's uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. You think they're going to block out the uh, the hearings on the uh, impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas? That's a good question. Well, yeah, well, of course. No, no, no. They'll, they'll, they'll bring you updates as it occurs. Meanwhile, the January 6th committee, which didn't allow any cross-examination of any witnesses, that was 24-7 live on all networks. And that's just the double standard that is happening here. Now, here's the good news. Nobody trusts the messenger anymore. I remember before the 2016 election, The Hill, where I was working at the time as a reporter, we did an analysis of the 59 largest newspapers in the country. And 57 of those 59 endorsed Hillary Clinton. And that got her, let's see, a set of steak knives and a concession speech. In other words, no one cares what the media is telling you anymore. In fact, it could be a positive thing for Donald Trump when you have this sort of media blackout, because quite frankly, these guys, it, it's clear now, it's us against them in terms of media on the Democrat side and Republicans being the beneficiaries of no one trusting the messenger, if that makes sense. So where, is it going to be like this for the rest of the campaign? I mean, that this yeah. is what I'm wondering, because there's obviously going to be a lot of other moments. There's a lot more caucuses. You got, you know, first of all, you got South Carolina primary, then you got Super Tuesday. There's a lot of biggies. And is it, is this the par for course? And I cannot believe that they would say this is the number one issue. You know, not just how you feel, Joe, but if you look at the polls from Iowa and also New Hampshire, it surpassed economy overwhelmingly that people carry about the border. So what they're going to block the American audience from their concerns? Well, you know, let's define block, right? In other words, when we were growing up, and when I grew up in, in, in New Jersey, I, I we had, you know, the rabbit ears, and I hate to date myself, but it, it was, you know, the early 80s, in essence, when I started watching television. And you had uh, Channel 7, Channel 2, Channel 4, Channel 5, Channel 9, Channel 11. Uh, now you have 1,000 channels, 5,000 channels, radio stations like WABC. Uh, you have podcasts that are far more popular in some cases than the cable news network. So I think the, the playing field, along with social media, has been evened in the sense where the media, so to speak, whether it be MSNBC and CNN, no one's watching those networks. So how much influence can they really have? And I, I think that, you know, in the end, it comes down to the message. And Donald Trump has the message right now in terms of the border, in terms of the economy, in terms of energy independence, in terms of crime, in terms of foreign policy, all I know is from 2017 to 2021, the world was a relatively calm place. And now it feels like it's on fire because it is on fire because Joe Biden is president. So as far as the issues that people feel and see and vote on, 
Donald Trump seems to have the advantage right now, guys. No question. All right. Joe Concha, thank you. Thank you so very much, Joe. much. Thank you. Thank you. And thank we're going to have a lot more ahead on Katz and Cosby. We're going to be talking to Congressman Michael Waltz, who is investigating the death of those two Navy SEALs. That, and we're going to talk about border and so much more right after the break. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Katz and Cosby. Well, our next guest is a great member of Congress from Florida. He's a retired Army Green Beret. And uh, calling for a big investigation on the deaths of the two Navy SEALs that died when they were trying to stop the shipment of weapons to the Iranian-backed Houthi rebels. Uh, Congressman Waltz, we love having you here on the show. Um, I, I say bravo to this because there's still something. It, it's just it, there's something weird. You know, one guy sadly fell over. The other one went to look for him. They did a massive search and, and nothing came up. What What do you think may be here? What don't we know about this? Well, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. So I have both tactical questions and I have more strategic questions that I think uh, the American people deserve answers to. One, you know, uh, having conducted these types of operations, uh, I, I know that the, the SEALs train with flotation devices uh, that, you know, keep them afloat with and they have all of their kit and their body armor and all their equipment on. What happened there? They also typically, we all do, uh, have personal tracking devices. Uh, why did those seem to fail or were, were inoperable? And then the, the, the risk assessment, why was it so urgent? There are thousands and thousands of these, uh, they call them DAOs. They're kind of these regional small craft uh, that transit the Persian Gulf and around the Mediterranean Red Sea. Uh, was it to go after this one in the middle of the night, rough sea conditions? Uh, if we're sending SEALs and they expected some type of hostile uh, environment there, why couldn't they wait till daylight? So I have those those tactical questions that I think we, the families, and others deserve answers to. But more strategically, guys, are we going to uh, – how many more SEALs are we going to lose? How many thousands of these craft are we going to try to board and, and search and seize when in the end of the day – if we dry up the cash in Tehran, if we reverse policy from our appeasement policy towards Iran, if we go back to the maximum pressure, that's the root cause of all of these problems, from Hezbollah to uh, Iraq and our bases there uh, to what's going into Yemen to supply the Houthis. Uh, we're running around trying to deal with the tentacles 
of the octopus or the symptoms of the disease rather than go into the root cause. But this administration seems so wedded to their appeasement strategy, they didn't even talk or even say Iran uh, when they first announced the bombing. Then further, on the one hand, we have the commander-in-chief Biden saying, well, I really don't think it's effective. I don't know that it's going to stop the Houthis. But yet on the other hand, the Washington Post is reporting we're backing ourselves into an endless war with yet, yet another terrorist group. So strategically, it just doesn't make sense at all. And I think this is absolutely an appropriate role for, for Congress. And I'm chairman of military readiness to, to step in and ask those questions. Congressman, uh, did people see them fall in? How far did the boat go away from the where they fell in before they turned around? I mean, do you have a better uh, pulse on the situation? We don't know. I, you know, we know that the seals, uh, they, they go in, you know, what they call their, their battle buddies, they go in pairs. And if one goes in, the other goes in after them. Now that's been of some debate in the community. Uh, you know, are you essentially now putting two at risk rather than putting a light on them, putting a laser on them, putting some type of, of tracking device in the water, uh, in the proximity so that, uh, you know, that, that we can more effectively go after that, that down uh, sailor. So those are all, again, tactical questions that, we're, that we need to ask. And, and again, why, what was the critical urgency to get on this particular boat in the middle of the night, in rough seas, with our best of our best, when, you know, you, you track the boat until daylight uh, and, and it's, you know, much more, you know. Much so more were, they, were they going after another boat? Is that what they were doing? Yeah, they were going after. It's one of these DAOs. Uh, they are, you know, they could do everything from just regional trade to fishing. Uh, it's it's so they, they could have been machine gunned. Uh, but that's right. They could have been. We could have been expecting a hostile response. But typically, these are local merchants, local fishermen that, you know, may get paid off to do some smuggling. And I don't but understand. Again, do they have tracking devices, uh, the SEALs? We all, all special operators typically operate with personal tracking devices. That's another, that's another so question that I have. Then you, you got to get that, that question operate? answered. That's right. Why didn't, but, but again, to take it more strategic, are we now embarking on an, you know, on a blockade uh, of Yemen? Are we going to start searching every one of these thousands of DAOs that are coming in for smuggled Iranian arms is, is this the best use of our Navy and of our special operators? By the way, when you hear all these forces surge to the Middle East, that's an opportunity cost there. They're not in China. Uh, they're not out in the Indo-Pacific. They're not at home uh, resting, refitting, getting, so that they're ready to go, especially the ships, when we need them. Uh, so I have questions up and down, uh, both strategically and, and operationally. Yeah, well, there is please, so much. Please, wow. Congressman, please come back when you, when you know so we can let – the, the millions of people that listen to our show uh, know what the heck is going on. Will do. And uh, at the end of the day, I've got, I've got those families in mind and future families uh, that are, that are out there on that wall. You know, right you know, now. Is there a possibility they were taken prisoner? I don't think so. Uh, they, they were lost at sea that, that we have been definitively briefed. Wow. Keep well, us posted. And thank you for your service too, Congressman. So much. You. Thank you. Thank you. And Rita, now you have some breaking news. It's the top news of the day. Sponsored by Goya. Here's Rita Cosby. 
Well, as you just heard here on the top of Cats and Cosby, former President Trump is the clear front runner for the Republican Party's presidential nomination following a big win last night in New Hampshire. Trump defeated former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley in yesterday's New Hampshire primary. Haley, though, has vowed for now to stay in the race. The Israel-Hamas war rages on in Gaza. Israel's military said it's intensifying operations around the region's second largest city right now. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu vows his forces will continue fighting until they reach, quote, absolute victory. And U.S. Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey says evidence taken from his home was seized in an illegal search. He's calling on the judge in the New York City bribery and corruption case to toss out the evidence, which includes cash and also gold bars. And, John, those are your hot, hot, hot stories from Goya. I love those Goya beans. Uh, they are the best. You know, yummy, are yummy. <laughs> yummy, good. yummy. Well, are we going to let's take a break right now. And then we have John Solomon with some big scoops on uh, tied to January 6th, John, and evidence that may be missing. You're commuting home with Cats and Cosby. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Breaking news, WABC. And joining us now here on Cats and Cosby is John Solomon, the great investigative journalist, the founder of Just the News. Uh, John, there is so much to talk with you about. First of all, uh, we are now hearing that the January 6th Select Committee happened to delete more than 100 encrypted files in its probe right before the GOP took over. Tell us about this. This is crazy. Yeah, this is very important. Uh, Chairman Barry Loudermilk, he's the head of the House Administration Oversight Subcommittee, so the subcommittee that's been investigating January 6th since uh, Republicans took over Congress a year ago. He says, we, we tracked down these files. They were deleted. They were first encrypted in case we ever recovered them and then deleted so that Republicans would never gain access to a large swath of evidence that the committee had gathered. And that is on top of other signs that we have that the committee was playing with some of the prosecutors, that they were uh, hiding the fact that uh, their star witness, Cassidy Hutchinson, had changed her testimony via a large errata sheet. Uh, the suspense in the behavior of the January 6th subcommittee is really growing. And the Democrats aren't acting like a committee who's or at least now with the behavior, that whose mission was righteous. They're acting like they had something to hide. Republicans are determined to find out what that is. Uh, the next step is to try to compel Benny Thompson to give the encryption key so that now that they've recovered the files, they can access them by having the passwords. That hasn't happened yet. At some point, you may very well see one of these members of the January 6th subcommittee today, the new committee, perhaps file an ethics complaint against Benny Thompson saying this is not the way members of Congress in committee chairs are supposed to act. Uh, that's one of the things I know is under discussion right now. But uh, Congress uh, having a problem with in itself, unable to get evidence in Congress. Who would have thought Congress was destroying evidence? Well, that, that is mind-boggling that Congress <laughs> would destroy evidence. But do you, we do have access to it if they, if they gave us the encryption key? That's what they're telling us. That's what Johnny Sherman Lotto knows. And I don't understand when they pull a stunt like that. Yep. Who uh, who goes after them? 
if the FBI is listening to the Department of Justice and the Department of Justice seems to be prejudiced at this time, what, what, where's the rule of law? Yeah, well, that's a big question, right? And listen, at the end of the day, you say this all the time, John, and I couldn't agree more with you. American people just want the facts. Whatever happened on January 6th, give us the truth, but don't hijack the truth. And I think there's a growing belief that maybe the January 6th committee had its own truth and didn't want all the facts to come out. They wanted a controlled narrative, and that narrative is now you know, under uh, not only attack, but it's under uh, revisement because we're learning so much that we didn't know during the committee's hearings uh, in 2022. So uh, give us the facts. I think that's what the American people will say. I think Barry Loudermilk will find a way either through forensic experts or by cutting a deal with Benny Thompson to get the passwords and get these encryption keys done. But that's a big part of the the ongoings in the January 6th committee. We're going to have some new evidence about January 6th and one of its most famous players that day on that tragic day later this week we'll be giving give a give update on that one we're ready to break that story can't wait now what about fanny willis the georgia da there is so much stuff it's like a soap opera yeah. uh yeah, and, and the, the ex-lover is now uh, or the ex-wife i guess they're in the middle of divorce proceedings she's now yep. presented the receipts showing that nathan wade this is the prosecutor yep. that she appointed in the trump case and the da that they went on trips together, that they, he, he was buying yeah. plane tickets, uh, you know, Royal Caribbean. Uh, it doesn't sound yeah. like they were doing a lot of investigating at that time. <laughs> That's or maybe a different kind wanted. of investigating, sort of investigating right? were they doing? <laughs> yeah, listen, I, I, at the end of the day, uh, if there is some hanky-panky going on and there seems to be suggestions of it, and it occurred at taxpayers' money, that is prob- problematic, right? It creates conflicts of interest. But I think there is a much larger issue uh, that could be really disturbing to the American people. Uh, I think the Democrats would love to stay focused on the hanky-panky if there is some, but the perhaps more troubling thing is that the Georgia prosecutors have billing records suggesting they met for a very long period with the Biden White House just before they indicted Donald Trump. And the question for the American people is, what is a White House doing meeting with prosecutors who are investigating their chief rival? And so far, the podium at the White House has been silent on this issue. They're not answering. What's the old expression, uh, John? It doesn't pass the smell test. Exactly. Uh, and uh, we have some litigation coming up we'll be announcing soon. But we're going to force, uh, we're going to try to force disclosure. We need to know. Remember a year ago, I broke a story that the White House told the National Archives Go sick the FBI on Donald Trump and the classified documents. That was the first time we found a Biden White House doing something that in any earlier generation would have been frowned upon. But if the White House was meeting with Georgia prosecutors and in any way facilitating, assisting, encouraging, directing uh, a prosecution of Donald Trump, that could become a national scandal. There's real billing records, so there's a reason to be worried about this. We're going to get to the bottom of it at some point. Great. Well, thank you so much, uh, John Solomon, and let's catch up again real soon. Sounds great. Wow, that was interesting, John, that all those documents, Judge Weinberg, are missing suddenly. What a I, surprise. I can't believe that they, 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 they intentionally get rid of the documents. Well, and that they won't give the encryption codes? Come on. What yeah, is that about? That's they have an obligation way. to give up. It's not their proprietary information. It belongs to the Congress, and the House is entitled to it. Whether it's Democrats or Republicans, Absolutely. they're entitled to it. Still, Who do we have on? Yeah, still so many unanswered questions about January 6th. Um, well, let's bring in now uh, somebody who understands 
uh, about terrorism because, boy, he lived it. He was just nine years old when his father was killed. Uh, Francis Tavern, and it was in 1975, 49 years today. And uh, joining us now is Joe Connor and, and Peter King. You know Joe Connor, too. Talk about it. Yeah, I do. Joe has really made this his life's crusade. He's had to live with this since he's nine years old. He's been a, a real warrior on this, and it really shows, that, to me, the criminal negligence of our government and the terrible actions taken by the Clinton and Obama administration. But, Joe, thank you for all your work over the years. Well, describe, oh, Peter, please, describe please don't thank me. So they know we're, we're yeah, describe what happened at Francis oh, Tavern, too. And, Joe, it, yeah. yeah, talk about what happened. You were a young child, but why it's so important, especially now, as we're dealing with, you know, terrorists sure. around the globe? Sure. I, I was. My father was at Francis Tavern on January 24, 75. He's 33. The FALN terrorists walked a bomb in and blew the place up. It's where the Sons of Liberty met. It's where American freedom and liberty was created. And it was where my father was murdered. Um, years later, they were rounded up, put in prison for long prison terms until the Clintons gave them clemency in 1999. One of the Mosca Lopez re, uh, refused the clemency, stayed in prison. I faced him at his parole hearing in Terre Haute um, some years later. And then in his last days in office, Obama gave Lopez a uh, a second clemency for the same crime. It was all to connect Hillary Clinton with the uh, with the Latino community in New York when she was running for senator from from New York in the year 2000 against which who she thought was going to be Rudy, Rudy Giuliani. Um, the other part of it is that one of the terrorists, William Morales, is in Cuba and has been a guest of the Castro regime. We have a bill in front of the Senate um, to have his return called the uh, officer, the Trooper Warner Forster and Frank Connor Justice Act. So what, what, why this is still so important is that these terrorists were convicted of what's called seditious conspiracy. And you've probably heard that a lot around the January 6th. But these were real terrorists who blew up 130 bombs in the, in the U.S., murdered five people, were put in prison for seditious conspiracy and then released for politics by the very Democrats who are now pushing uh, seditious conspiracy charges on, on Americans. Um, so they had terrorists in jail. They released them for politics, and now they charge American people, um, citizens, with those very crimes. Um, We're also dealing with Cuba. Now, we have Cuba. There's a push now to remove Cuba from the state-sponsored terror list. Now, Cuba should never be removed from the state-sponsored terror list, particularly being that they sponsor terrorists like William Morales and Joanne Chesimard, uh, Charlie Hill, and others. So a lot of what has gone on now it, it 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 ties back to the same leftist movements that happened in the 70s. And we actually have a movie about it called Shattered Lives. I wrote a book about it. And uh, Pete King has been a great advocate for my family and me. And I'm sorry I spoke a lot very quickly, but I know we are in a tight time frame, so I wanted to get the points across. No, it's so important. Thank you for also reminding everybody, um, and I can't believe it's been 49 years. And also, this was the same group that uh, tried to uh, bomb the Capitol, right, Pete, years earlier, too. Oh, yeah. Same the, group. Yeah, they attacked, yeah, they attacked the, the Capitol. They shot it up. Shout out to House Representatives. Yeah. Wow. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Such an important event. And uh, boy, I'm so glad that you joined us today to remind everybody 
and uh, and honoring your uh, well, incredible they're, they're, father. They're, listen, too. They're, sure. par- they're paroling police killers in New York. It's so you know, it's just as bad. It's, yeah, and this guy, one the of them thing. was in the parade too, in the yeah. Puerto yeah. Rican Day Oscar, Parade. Oscar Lope, uh, they try to make Oscar, Oscar Lopez the freedom hero of the Puerto Rican Day Parade, a terrorist who was trying to subjugate people under communism. Unbelievable. Were. Joe, it thank is. you. Great job, thank Joe. You, Keep Joe. it up. Hey, You're the best. Keep up the fight. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And we have been talking at the beginning of the show, John, about EVs and what a disaster they are. Electric vehicles. Yes. What happened now? And well, uh, our next guest knows about uh, the pitfalls of them all too well. Joining us now is Jason Rance, uh, radio host, also a great political expert. Jason, you wrote uh, that you were stranded in an EV at midnight and it says progressives don't want you to know about my nightmare. Tell us real quick what happened. No, they don't want to know. So, of course, I, as someone who doesn't actually own a car, I had a wedding to go to that was about 80 miles or so east of Seattle, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And so I go in, get my rental car. They force an EV on me at Hertz because that's all they have available. Oh, the ones at Hertz is getting rid of. (laughs) I instinctively knew that something wasn't going to go right. And so as I'm driving out there, I'm looking at the dashboard the entire time. It tells you how many more miles you can get on the battery, and at first it seemed like it would be fine, except apparently the EV batteries do not like hills. And so when you go up hills, it starts to deplete even quicker. And so by the time I actually got to the wedding, it basically said I had half the amount of miles available that I needed to get home. So I'm there during the ceremony and during the dinner and during all the speeches, panicked, looking on my phone, trying to find out where the nearest place is that I can plug in. And I thought I got lucky because it was one that was like a mile away, except it was just for Teslas. And I didn't have a Tesla without an adapter. It's not going to work. So the next closest one was 30 miles away. I had about 45 miles or so left on the car. So I was like, okay, I think I can easily make this. Uh, I couldn't. It turns out that, again, when you're going up hills, when it's very cold out, the battery dies even quicker. And just a pro tip, as I offered in my story, don't miss the exit you're supposed to get off on. Oh, oh, no. You end up really struggling. And, of course, because of where we were, where I was, it would be two miles to the next exit and then two miles back. I made it to the next exit where the car died. I literally was pulling off. The car died about five minutes later, the lights went off, the heater went off, it was very cold, and it was just a total nightmare. It, you know, I, I wrote about this mostly because we're obviously being pushed down this green revolution, particularly when it comes to EVs. We're not even remotely close to where we would need to be in order to make this work. And we're not going to be there by 2030 or 2035 When legislation kicks in, basically saying that in 13 states, including where I am in Washington, I think you guys are on the list as well, saying you could only sell EVs moving forward. We're not close in any world to having that infrastructure be put in place. And by the time we actually get all the infrastructure put in place, my guess is the technology is going to change and we're going to have to update everything. I can't believe uh, what a disaster uh, Jason, you also have a story for us about what's going on in Seattle. Yeah, just how bad it is there. 
I always have stories about what's going on in Seattle. <laughs> I mean, look, we're, we're dealing with, and really it's now become a statewide issue. The crime crisis in Seattle last year, we hit a record number of homicides, and there's no sign that things are going to get any better. So naturally, Democrats in the Capitol are pursuing legislation that bans guns. They're going after gun shops, making it almost impossible to operate a new bill that's been put forward requires a level of security that would cost hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to maintain. And there's not a single gun shop in the state that can do that. So if they pass it, they're putting the gun shops out of business. At the same time, they're moving forward with a bill that not only imposes 11% tax on ammunition, but it reclassifies ammunition as a privilege. Which, of course, it's not a privilege. It is a right, but they don't really seem to care about our right to gun ownership. So crime is going up and our ability to protect ourselves going away. Doesn't doesn't seem like the best well, strategy. Well, but- they, they got to take your guns away. You got to they got to take your guns away. So when the terrorists come in and they have submachine guns, you have nothing. Precisely. Although, let's be let's be fair. I'm less concerned about the terrorists than I am about some of the people who are wandering in downtown Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Really, really dangerous. Thank you so much. We'd like to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Thank you. Wow. And uh, boy, that EV story is a wild one. Um, And everybody, when we come back, John, we're going to be talking with Dick Morris to get his take on the presidential race. And he's one interesting guy. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby and joining us now to talk about New Hampshire, South Carolina and everything else that's ahead. Uh, joining us is Dick Morris, the great political consultant, of course, who's advised for President Clinton and also for, uh, of course, President Trump and also his new book, uh, Corrupt. Uh, which is the inside story about the bribery tied, the allegations with Biden and his family. Very timely. Uh, Dick, first off, uh, your reaction to the big win last night and what happens with the race from here with Nikki Haley? Well, I think it's over. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, nobody ever likes to pull out of a race with money in the bank. But and hey, that's probably why Nikki is staying in. But it's clearly over. Um Trump is going to overwhelmingly win Nevada, uh, and he's going to overwhelmingly win South Carolina. He's always been polling well over 50 percent of the vote in South Carolina. And uh, and then the Super Tuesday states, every one of them he's going to win, including the unit rule in uh, California, where he's going to win all 169 delegates because he'll get over 50 percent of the vote. So So there is no conceivable way that she can win. And this contest is over. So what is the end game then for her? And and where do you see, if it is over for her, where do you see it being over for her? Like, when do you think she would announce it? Do you think she's going to do it before South Carolina, her home state? Or do you think she's going to, because she does still have some donors and including some Democratic donors? She probably will wait until, she probably will withdraw before South Carolina because she doesn't want to suffer the humiliation of getting wiped out in her home state. Um, I would think, but you know, uh, I'm not an expert at death and dying. 
Do you think, do you ever see a kumbaya with Nikki Haley and, and Trump? Um, where do you, no. do you see her being a part of the cabinet or is it far. over or is it too, too, too bitter now? You know, she did, he, yeah. remember that we played the Kenny Rogers song. She, she, she didn't fold it fast enough. Yeah. She didn't know when to hold him and know <laughs> yeah. when to fold him. <laughs> and, uh, and, and also the way that Donald Trump's heart is not to run against him. And, uh, he, he takes opposition very personally. And there was no way in hell that he would run with Nikki Haley or any of the other candidates in the Republican primary. Uh, he'll go outside that. What about, but, though, like Tim Scott, like Tim Scott last night, who never really went yeah. after him that much, you know, at yeah. all. It's, um, it's that's con- different. It's, it's conceivable. He could. Uh, I think it's far more likely to be a woman, but it could be Tim uh, Scott. Um, but, you know, Rita, the, the main thing on my mind right now as I just did a column that said that the real threat, the only threat, the single person that stands between Donald Trump and the presidency is a potential candidacy, Michelle Obama. Uh, I believe that it's now apparent to everybody that Biden can't win. His approval rating is down to 33%. And uh, I think that even the most hardened Democrat will concede that. And the problem is that they can't really get rid of Biden because if they uh, go with Newsom or somebody else, they'll be passing over Kamala Harris. And the blacks who are already leaving Biden in droves, the Trump is up to almost over a quarter of the black vote, will now leave en masse uh, because he's bypassing Kamala Harris. So I don't think that he can do that. And I think there's only one candidate who Democrats can go for uh, bypassing Kamala Harris and not paying for it with a black vote, and that's Michelle Obama. And I think that what the Democrats are planning to do is to keep this under wraps and unveil it right before the convention. I think they're going to continue to run Biden in each of the primaries. They'll continue to rack up delegates like he did last night. And then at the eve of the convention, when he has the unanimous support of the delegates, he will release those delegates and urge them to nominate Michelle. And then in a burst of enthusiasm, they'll nominate her by acclamation. And I think that that's the move the Democrats are planning. Hey, Dick, this is Pete King. Who would go for vice president then? Oh, I have no idea. But I mean, that, no, no, we're talking. He's talking about Biden for president. And, 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 right, but I'm saying no. if you put, if you, uh, put Michelle Obama, what are they going to do with Kamala Harris? I'm talking about putting Michelle Obama for president. Right. And, right. And, yeah. and what happens to Kamala Harris? That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. She goes kind of history. And, yeah, who cares? Uh, yeah. But but I think that, uh, that that's the move the Democrats are planning. And I think the crucial to that is the surprise that should they unveil her at the last minute. And suddenly all of the attacks on Biden become irrelevant because he's not running. And the argument that he's too old and too feeble, well, who cares? The argument about his scandals in China, well, that's not significant anymore. And I think that the Democrats feel that they can basically change the whole ball game by changing their candidate. And I that very well may happen. Yeah, by the it way, is. Dick, uh, and your book is so timely as you were talking about scandals. Uh, Corrupt the Inside Story of Biden's Dark Money, another big bestseller. Thanks, Dick, Thank so you, much. Dick Morris. Well, wow, what a show, guys. Wow. I just don't know if Kamala Howard's a real that easily. I want to know what Peter King thinks.
Will it be Michelle Obama? I don't think so. I wouldn't rule it out. You know, Newt says absolutely not. Dick Morris says yes. You got two political experts. All right. I'm going to flip a coin. (laughs) (laughs) What do we all stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America.